All right, let's give it another game. Hey guys, back on the podcast today. We just had a microphone malfunction, so we've got uh, Jackson back on now. I'm going to reintroduce himself, and then we're just kicking off the topic about um, carbohydrates and um, how the misconception around those. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll try and I'll try and do it in double time now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, my name is Jackson Peels, a PhD researcher at the University of Western Australia in clinical and sport nutrition. My background is a undergraduate degree in sports science and exercise and health, an honours degree in exercise physiology. Did quite well in those studies. That allowed me to get a scholarship position to complete my PhD. Uh, my PhD research, which I'm completing at the moment, focuses on basically novel strategies that athletes can use to enhance the fat loss process while maintaining their muscle mass and their performance. And some of the things that I'm testing at the moment involve intermittent dieting. Uh, for your listeners, they, they might be familiar with things like uh, refeed and diet breaks. Those things are, are basically what encompass intermittent dieting so that's one area of what my research focuses on and then a second area is basically novel supplements that could potentially help us drop that while um, maintaining things that we want to maintain like our performance our metabolic rate um, our muscle mass and things like that so outside of my research i am a sports nutritionist um, work with a number of clients, uh, mostly sports athletes, uh, so whether that be um, bodybuilders, which we don't, we don't actually call them athletes, do we? Um, boxers, combat fighters, MMA, rollers, rugby players, um, quite a mixed bag, and then the rest of my clientele will be mostly gen pop dieters, just trying to look a bit better in their bungee smugglers or, or their bikini when the, when the nice weather comes around. Um, Outside of the, the work stuff, um, I, I obviously train myself. Um, I used to be a competitive bodybuilder, but I've given that up. I, I still lift weights and I try to add a little bit of muscle mass where I can and, and not look in, in horrible shape. Um, but my competitive focus at the moment is on boxing. So um, I've boxed for a number of years. Um, just recently have started boxing competitively in the super heavyweight division. Um, so I'm working towards um, some fights at the end of this year and, and early next year, which is basically yeah, what most of my training focuses on. Uh, when I'm not researching or doing nutrition or um, training myself, which is doesn't leave a whole lot of time, yeah. um, but that free time will be spent on uh, watching anime. Um, and for listeners who don't know that, which um, if you don't know, you should educate yourself. There's <laughs> Japanese cartoon so things like Naruto, Dragon Ball Z, and yeah, whatnot. Just talking before the before the mic cut out. Um, that was probably the original um, inspiration motivator or driver for yeah. getting lifting weights. Because as as a twelve year old watching sort of Goku go Super Saiyan against Frieza, oh like, mate, I, the best day. <laughs> I worked, I worked out that I liked muscle before I even knew what a dumbbell yeah. was or a bench press or, or, or anything like that. So yeah, that's me. I love it, man. Um, what did you rate the uh, the latest Dragon Ball Z movie? I think it came out, was it last year? The one where Frieza yeah. makes a comeback? Broly. The, the, the latest Dragon Ball Z movie is um, Broly, which is... Yeah. It, was, it was pretty good. Like, the... 
the like the fight scenes with on like that ice area that yeah. was pretty freaking dope yeah it was um, cool I like I, I like this movie much better than the original Broly movie because like the original Broly movie I feel like they just made the Broly character like just this stupid like just meathead like sort of like a standard gym rat the yeah. whole thing just knows how to like get big um, and I swear, like, the only word he said the entire movie was just Kakarot, like, <laughs> 70 times. But this time, they gave him a bit, they gave him a bit more personality, so I was yeah. No, I love it, man. Um, yeah, again, before we cut out, we're just talking about how um, one of the biggest misconceptions in the fitness industry is um, people thinking you can't have carbs to lose fat. So do you want to just break that one out there for them? Yeah, so um, huge misconception. And... Uh, probably a massive mistake a lot of people make um, when they're trying to drop fat, trying to drop weight, they say, okay, well, we're going to take my carbs right low or perhaps even just go no carbs and go on a keto diet. Um, but it doesn't matter where your calories are coming from. What is the largest predictor of fat loss is going to be your overall calorie intake. So um, a lot of people make the mistake of, of thinking they need to go really low carbs to achieve that calorie deficit. Um, but it actually shoots themselves in the foot because um, when you're training, whether that be sort of lifting weights or running or sprinting or anything like that, the fuel for high-intensity efforts like that is carbohydrates. So um, if your carbohydrate intake is really, really low, you're just not going to be able to perform those efforts optimally. Then you're not going to be able to perform as well in the gym. You're not going to be able to handle as high volumes anymore. That's when you put yourself at massive risk of sort of losing strength, losing lean mass, um, so when I'm dieting down a client, once we have their calorie level in check to establish that calorie deficit, I'll actually put a higher proportion of, of, of their remaining calories towards carbohydrates, try to maintain lean mass and performance the best we can. Cool, man. I love it. Um, you mentioned that you work with fighters. Now, um, coming from a boxing background myself, one of the things uh, I found was just ridiculous, some ridiculous beliefs in the old school boxing world about how to cut weight and dropping out water and like, you know, dropping, trying to drop 10 kilos in a week to make a fight. Like what's your message out there to other fighters and other boxers that, you know, as a professional in nutrition? Yeah. It depends a little bit on whether you're working with fighters in the pro scene or the amateur scene. Yeah. So I work with, um, like, for example, Caitlin Parker is one of our boxers um, on the Australian Olympic team. So I was managing her sort of weight cut um, for her in Olympic qualifiers. Um, now, they have to basically weigh in and fight on the same day. Wow, so yeah. If you're, if you're, if you're dehydrated, and that, that's standard across all amateur boxing, yeah. um, even at the Olympic level. So if, you're, if you've got your fighter jumping on the scale that morning in a dehydrated, underfed state, you've just got fuck all chance of them being rehydrated optimally and fueled optimally by the time they walk out into mm. the ring. So you have to be very, very careful with how much sort of rapid weight loss practices you're using. And by rapid weight loss practices, I mean sort of like saunering, um, garbage bag runs, like sweating hot baths and things like that. <laughs> um, my, my approach when working with, with the, the amateur fighters is to get them very close to fight weight using nutrition strategies alone and most of the most of the time it's not that hard you don't have to take their calories extremely extremely low because their training output's quite high they can still eat a decent amount but, but the goal for me is is to basically map out a 12-week fight camp 
and to have them pretty damn close to fight weight within a week out. Um, and then for that week leading to the fight, if we still got some weight to drop, I'll just switch them to a low residue diet, which would just be basically means a really low fiber diet. So you don't have food weight sitting in the gut. Um, so we'll cut out veggies and, and highly fibrous carbs and things like that. Um, we'll still feed them optimally, so it's for their in. Um, yep. But yeah, one they're sort of 24 hours out, um, I might just get them to have their, their dinner three or four hours earlier um, and maybe just not have any fluids sort of after 7 p.m. And usually that's enough for, for me to get them on the scale, bang on weight, and then all they really need to do is have a meal, have a glass of water, and then they're hydrated and they're, and they're fueled and ready to roll. When you're working with guys in the pros, it's a little bit tricky because you got to hold 24 hours yeah. between weigh-in yeah. and, um, and fight. So that's when the hot bars and the saunas and things, they can have a little bit more utility because you've got that lag time to actually put the stuff back in. Yes. Um, yeah. But a lot of, when I'm working with pro fighters, um, a lot of um, my strategy comes from what I've learned from Jordy Sullivan, who is the fight dietitian. And, like he's just done Israel Adesanya's wow. well cut on Fight Island last yeah. weekend. Like he, he he's very well in the trenches with with the elite guys. Um, and generally, like fuck, if if you don't have experience doing hot bars and things like that, don't fucking try. Like if you're yeah. just some online coach who's working with it and thinks you can give it a crack, please don't. Like you can yeah. really find a professional. Yeah. Um, but, but generally, we have limits that we work with, and, and generally, like, the the acute weight loss that we will allow will be a maximum sort of 5 to 10% body weight, um, and no more than that. Um, that's good. Yeah, that's great. Do more than that, you're sort of putting yourself at risk, you know, sort of drops in blood pressure and things like that, and it can just make it very difficult to actually, even with 24 hours, it becomes quite difficult to actually get that fluids back into the right spots to have you rehydrated and refueled. Yeah, man. Like, like there's so many things that go into that and there's so much calculation, right? And coming from the old school boxing background where it's like, yeah, you do. I remember my coach, uh, I was only about 16 at the time when I was fighting um, uh, in the super heavyweights too. And it was, um, yeah, it was like, don't drink water for three days before the fight so you can drop weight and make sure you're doing your garbage bag and raincoat runs and sprints in 40 degree heat and just sweat out every bit of water. It's just ridiculous stuff, eh? As, uh, I look back now, like just with the small amount of knowledge I've got now, um, uh, when I say small amount, just like very basic amount of knowledge in nutrition, um, yeah, you just think back, you're like, wow, that's, uh, that's some absolute horseshit. And there's fighters out there really? doing that and dying from it. Yeah, like we just had that girl in Perth die last year, man, because they had those those Thai guys managing a weight cut, and they, they had her losing like nine kilos of water in the sauna. And like That's fucked up, man. Like, her fight was, like, was like 62 kilos, man. And it's yeah. Like, you can seriously fuck up some people um, if you don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And a lot of people say, like, the, the problem with boxing and, and, and fight sports is um, they – overvalued tradition so like they like yeah, to say oh he was actually in the 1980s that's what he did so that's therefore the best way but just because Ali was doing something or, or Foreman was doing something doesn't mean it was the best way like mm. we, we know more shit now so we should apply it um, and just because Ali was so great doesn't mean he couldn't have been better with some, yeah, with some better practice exactly. better strategies yeah 
Yeah, no, 100% agree on that. And, um, you know, if we can bring that back around to, like, just uh, um, bodybuilders now, like, how many things are changing compared to, again, very traditional in the sense of, you know, what Arnold did or what, um, yeah, friggin' Ronnie Coleman did or Phil Health did. It's like, every time it changed, every time there's, uh, and, you know, you work in, uh, you yourself work in such a um, data-based industry where there's constantly new studies coming out and you're constantly doing new studies, that data is always changing and um, things are always changing as well. Oh yeah, big time, big time. And, and you're, you're a fool if you get romantic with sort of what people used to do before. Like I, I know yeah. there's so many bodybuilders that like get very attached to like, oh, that's what the gold guys do. Like, fuck, like I'm scientists. Like we go into the trenches and we do the research to get yeah. this new information that can make us better. And, and for, for whatever reason, people seem to discredit the, the, the new information that comes out. Like, yeah, like, it doesn't need to be so fancy. And it's <laughs> just what those old guys used to do. It's like, fuck, it, yeah, it, it pees me off a little bit because we, we do more. We should use it. Yes, 100%. Like, utilize what's available to you now because there's, there's so much information out there. Um, and do you think like, just as a professional opinion, do you think that over flood of information and people who aren't scientists and people who are just spilling bullshit, do you think that's flooding the, the nutrition industry? Yeah, I think it definitely is. Um, I think with like the social media age explosion, like everyone's got a voice now. Um, whereas that probably wasn't the case sort of 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, but and, and I think what I think the effect of that is just a whole lot of confusion, um, because for our standard gen pop person who just wants to like be healthy, look healthy, and uh, look aesthetic, um, and perhaps hasn't invested the time to develop critical thinking skills and an adequate understanding of like the principles of nutrition, that's fine. We can't expect everyone to know that, but. They see person A saying intermittent fasting is the key to fat loss, and it's going to ramp up your growth hormone, and it's going to um, it's going to shred fat really quickly, and it's going to allow you to maintain your muscle mass. And then you've got someone like me, person B, who's saying actually no, intermittent fasting is not the key, and and it's the calories that you consume over twenty four hours. Yeah. And it's like yeah. for the general gen pop person, they see two people speaking, they don't they don't know who's right. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like if they haven't, if they haven't had that, spent that time developing critical thinking skills and analytical skills, they're just not going to know. And and the end result is a whole lot of people are just confused as shit, and they don't know whether they should be doing low carb, high carb, paleo, vegan. When the game changes come out, there, it's just a whole lot of confusion. Yeah. And it does. Um, it does make my job a little bit tough, but um, um, that's also the reason why I try to put out content regularly to just try to. If I can clear up some of this confusion that, that people might have, and hope, I'm hopefully that um, as I'm sort of developing and, and growing in the industry, people will sort of develop more trust in me and, and see me as a credible, credible voice. And they say, "Okay, we're going to not listen to person A. We're going to listen to person B and, and trust what he says." Yeah, it's not like the way I always tell people is, you know, every time. You know, I'm just, I'm just a personal trainer, right? I don't have a lot of knowledge in the insights or depths of um, nutrition. But, you know, when I, when I hear my clients come to me and go, oh, I'm now switched vegan because I watched Game Changers. I'm like, what, on what grounds did you make that decision just by watching a TV show? It's like, it's like I don't know if you remember. It's, 
<laughs> I, I made a comment. I, I said, well, I posted something after game changes because I, I got so frustrated that the amount of people that had immediately switched yeah. oh, mate. a complete diet after a 120-minute what I'll call a feature film. Yeah. I said, like, it, that's like watching a season of Suits. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the show, the show Suits. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm like watching fine. a season of Suits. And then thinking, you motherfucking know how to go and do law, like, or that you're going to become a lawyer because you watch Suits. It's like, it just makes no sense whatsoever. Oh, and and I, was, I, was, I was just really disappointed that people were, I guess... Uneducated? Just had no... Not uneducated, but just was so easily swayed. Yeah, that, yeah. That, like, I thought people would be a little bit more resilient and maybe question things a little bit more yeah. instead of just being like, this guy said it, so I'm going to believe it. It's like, are we that gullible? Can oh, we not man. ask a few questions? But yeah, yeah it was a shame. Um, and, and and when that movie came out, everyone was, was talking. Like, it, it was a fad. Like, people were vegan for a few weeks and they yeah. were like, yeah, we love the game changers. And, and they realised how good bacon tastes. It came and went and... Uh, it was the same as what the health and, and yeah those yeah those documentaries they they have their moment in their sun in the sun for a couple of months and then they they fade off they make their money and then they they drift off and then there'll be another one coming out soon I'm sure yeah exactly yeah yeah it's, it's surprising how many people I thought were very well educated um, in their own ways made very quick decisions based off a film on TV I was like wow okay yeah yeah like can we not can we not like Let's not forget, like the, the purpose of this movie. I'll call. It, I'm not going to call it a doc. I'm not going to. No, it's definitely not a documentary. The, no. like, the purpose of this film is to make money. Like, is it to help the world? Like, yeah. Like James, James Cameron, the director, he's put millions into like a plant-based supplement company. Like, like they have a massive vested financial interest in this. Like, they're yeah. not trying to help the world. They want to make money, and the, the way they do that is by making it as shocking as possible so they can get eyeballs and, and basically... Um, Shoot up stock prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like freak people out into, in, into sort of engaging with, with this content. And they achieved their goal. They achieved yeah. exactly what they wanted to happen. So, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I always said to people, like, um, I don't know if you remember what your parents used to tell you, but don't believe everything you see on TV. Like, it's, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's pretty basic, man. It's really real Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you want to go read, go pick up a medical journal or go pick up a journal of written studies in there and have, have a read. Like, that's that's where you're going to find the information. Yeah. It pisses me off that people will, like, discredit PubMed studies. Yeah. But then they, they'll watch something from Netflix and they're like, <laughs> okay, yeah, this is where I'm going to go. This is better. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I saw this meme the other day and it's like, you know, spend four years as an undergrad do your masters, uh, get your PhD, spend seven years doing your study, and then you finally publish it in a journal, and someone on the internet goes, "Nah, bullshit." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm in the process of publishing some of my studies now, and like I'm like I'm backing down the hatches, getting ready for that because I, I can just imagine like, oh, there's not enough people, or yeah, sample yeah. size is too small, it's not powered correctly, or yeah. didn't test for this. And, like, <laughs> You can't win. You, you can never win. You can never win. Yeah, exactly. Especially with the internet, eh? You just got a thick skin yeah. out there. Yeah. All right, cool, man. Let's bring it back around to. Um, so, what are some other big misconceptions you you find? Like, how uh, we went over how people believe obviously carbs are bad for um, uh, um, 
fat loss and how it's more important focusing on the total caloric or calories. Um, what's another big one you find? Um, this one ties in quite closely to what my current research focuses on, yep. that um, when you're dieting down, that you must use things like cheat days, refeeds, diet breaks. Okay, um, yeah. Diet there's a lot of belief that these things are necessary because they allow you to maintain the metabolic rate while you're dieting or to help maintain more muscle mass um, or even just help your sort of eating psychology. Um, but for the most part, it's just not supported by any actual research or evidence as yet. Yeah. And I know because this is my like area of expertise. Yeah. Um, there, there's no convincing research that, that refeeds are going to maintain your metabolic rate during dieting and, and there's no research that diet breaks um, are going to maintain more of your muscle mass or more of your metabolic rate when you're dieting. So don't think that just because you're dieting you have to be using these things. Most of the time people just want to use them because it gives them an excuse to eat more. Yeah, just pig out. Or something like that. Yeah. So most, most of the time it, it, it's just a cop-out. Um, so understand that, yeah, number one, that like be honest with yourself, like why am I actually putting refeeds and diet breaks in my plan? Is it because I think that they're going to help me maintain more muscle and metabolic rate? Well, if it is, I should probably change that because the, the, the research doesn't say that that's going to actually happen. And if you know, I'm just using because I just want to eat more, well, then accept that that's probably just going to extend the weight loss phase even longer and it's going to mean more time dieting. Things get even worse when um, you're using things like cheat days um, and I guess we can blame the bros for this because they sort of popularised it a lot. Yeah. Um, but like with those guys, like when you're using all the drugs under the sun, like you can get away with a shitload of stuff. Yeah. Um, when you're using like multiple thermogenics and, and, and things like that. Especially. So can, it, it, yeah, they, they, they basically came out and said like, oh, the cheat days are going to boost metabolism, fill you out, like jack up the muscles and things like that. But we just can't, we can't, apply that to, to most people who are, who are just trying to drop fat. It's, it's it's not comparing like with like. And the problem with cheat days is um, not only are they not going to boost your metabolic rate and it's not going to sort of um, allow you to maintain more muscle, it's going to add fat. Like if you're in a big surplus for yeah, 24 hours, it's got nowhere it's going to actually add fat. And if you've, if you've built up, let's say, a 3,000 calorie deficit across the week through like five days of like conservative diet, diet mm. which most people will be able to. And then you consume 6,000 calories on a Saturday with a cheat day because you think that that's the right thing to do. You have the potential to basically completely wipe out that whole entire week of dieting yeah. and end you back up at day zero. And that's one of the reasons a lot of people basically just spin their wheels constantly in dieting, feeling like they're not getting anywhere and they give up because they feel like they're dieting most of their week. Monday to Friday, like they're grinding, they're, they're on point. But then suddenly they just wipe out all yeah. the progress that they made and, and, and it just, yeah, it gets stuck in a vicious cycle going nowhere. So, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely not an advocate of cheat days, um, even cheat meals, um, and I also think the refeeds and diet breaks are overused by most people. I love it, man. Like, I, I find that, um, yeah, it just, it just makes sense when you just look at the numbers. You know, if you look at you're in an X amount um, uh, deficit, and then you have X amount surplus on that one day or that one meal, and you've just undone all that hard work. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense when you look at numbers like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's cool. I think that's a really important message because, you know, um, 
I'll share a very similar belief to what you're saying and what your research is indicating, right? Is that um, if you want to be in deficit, be in a deficit. Don't go, don't go, you know, I'm in a deficit for five days and then I just pick out and eat whatever I want for two days. It just it doesn't make any logical sense to do it that way. Um, so yeah, that's a, I think that's a really good point to bring up and um, educate people on. Yeah. Um, what's another thing uh, that you find? Do you, is there, do you get many people ask you about... Um, one of the posts I really liked that you put up was about uh, nutrition timing, more so around basis of training. So like pre, intra, and post training nutrition. There's a lot. Of, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of misconception around that as well. Yeah, it, it, it's changed, and like over the last two years, um, the the point of view has definitely changed. So if you ask me ten years ago, it would be very like getting protein carbs in immediately post-workout is absolutely essential to take advantage of the anabolic window. Um, number one, get protein in to activate the muscle protein synthesis pathways. And number two, get carbs in immediately to activate insulin release to, to basically um, inhibit muscle protein breakdown. That was basically the school of thought around 10 years ago. Um, now, it's, and Brad Schoenfeld put it very nicely in one of his recent publications. He said, we used to think it was an anabolic window, like we're talking 15 minutes post-workout, like get that shape That's down. a quick time, mate. You're trying to rush to get your protein powder and get in the... He's going to run out of time. Yeah, man, like I, I think back to training as a school kid, like when I was like 17, like we'd be like straight in the change rooms, like we'd yeah. all those wild concoctions and like yeah. kind of a shower, like gotta get that shape down. <laughs> but yeah, um, Brad, Brad put a, a really good piece um, not too long ago out that says um, we used to think it was an anabolic window, but in reality it's more like an anabolic barn door. So the period post training that your muscles are extra receptive to basically nutrients is a lot larger than, than we initially thought. Um, and generally what I advise, and, and this is not just, I'm not pulling it out of my ass, this is what the research supports, is that you basically want to be consuming at least protein um, on either side of a three-hour window around your training. So let me give you an example. So if you're having your pre-workout meal an hour before training, then you train for an hour, we're now at two hours since that, that pre-workout meal. That means that you'd want to have your next protein feeding within an hour after training. So it doesn't need to be immediately 15 minutes. It can be up to 60 minutes post-training, and that would allow you to be within either side of that three-hour window. If you're getting protein um, within that three-hour window across your training, you're just not going to be missing out on any anabolism whatsoever, and the research is quite clear on that. Um, if you're training fasted, it's a little bit of a different story. Mm, if you're okay. training fasted, you would want to get protein in immediately after your training because um, basically muscle protein breakdown is going to be sky high, muscle protein synthesis is going to be really low, and you want to you basically want to flip that switch, you want to flip flip the order. So. You, yeah, if you're training fasted, you it's in your best interest to absolutely be getting in protein immediately after um, training. But they're also what frustrates me is is once we had these papers come out by Brad and Brett and Alan, um, Brad sorry and Alan, it it, it seems like a lot of people in the evidence based community sort of was just like, okay, nutrient timing doesn't matter like whatsoever, and that's. 
that's just simply not the case. Um, yeah. Like we just highlighted like the, the protein timing issues, protein timing recommendations. Yes, we, we've got a little bit of more leg room than we initially thought. Like we don't need to be slamming this stuff in like 15 minutes immediately post. But there's, there's other considerations we need to be having too. Like for example, um, carbohydrates pre-training is an extremely advantageous technique in my opinion, yeah. especially if you're training for longer than 60 minutes. Like there was just a, there was just a study published um, only two weeks ago, which showed that just doing like some sets of bench press and squats, it decreased muscle glycogen by close to 70%. Wow. Like that is an absolutely yeah. massive amount of muscle glycogen. So you are churning through carbohydrates uh, when you're just doing standard weight training. Yeah, makes so sense. If you're not having carbohydrates pre-training, more than likely your muscle glycogen is going to get quite depleted. Your blood glucose is going to be obviously quite depleted. Yeah. And then where does your body go for energy? Well, okay, it's probably going to take some from fat, but it's also probably going to be looking at protein for, for its glucose and, um, to break, break that and convert it into glucose too to support the energy needs. So um, you really, it's really um, against your best interest to be having critically depleted muscle glycogen stores at any point in time if you're trying to sort of build muscle mass. So having carbohydrates to basically top up blood glucose, top up muscle glycogen um, is a great idea because not only is it going to maintain our muscle glycogen level so you can um, maintain your performance for longer in the gym, but it's also going to sort of decrease any risk of sort of the body looking for, for lean mass as a source of, of your fuel. Now, I also touched on just, and I'll sum this up, so we could, we could do an hour on this. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. I'll just cover some of the basics. Um, Post-training as well, um, you've, just, you've just basically ramped up muscle protein breakdown. You've taught our mm. muscle fibers to say it basically. Um, yes, muscle protein synthesis is higher, but muscle protein breakdown is also higher. Now, muscle grows when we're in a positive protein balance state, so when protein synthesis is above protein breakdown. So when we finish training, let's just say for simplicity, the worst thing about here, protein synthesis has come up, protein breakdown has come up too. And we take some protein after our training, that makes protein synthesis go up further. But we can make ourselves in a better positive protein balance state by dropping muscle protein breakdown, and we can achieve that by consuming carbohydrates in our post-workout meal too. So by consuming carbohydrates post-workout, we bring that muscle protein breakdown rate more. We have a more advantageous, advantageous positive protein balance state that's going to enhance the, the anabolic properties um, processes from post-workout. Love it, man. That's a, that's a great amount of info. And I think all the listeners will really, really appreciate that, especially coming from such an educated point of view. Um, because again, you, you hear a lot of... Um, uh, what do you call it? Um, I suppose the term would be like bro sciences or um, uh, pseudoscience on the internet speaking a lot, whole lot of garbage about these sort of topics. So it's nice having just an educated view on it. It's really cool. Um, one more thing you touched on. Uh, what's, your, what's your thoughts on fasted? So, uh, you know, there's a misconception going around a few years ago about fasted cardio or fasted weight training was the best for fat loss. Now, I know each one would be slightly different, but um, yeah, what's your, what's your view on that? More from that. Yeah, so, yeah, we, we probably blame the bros for this one too. Um, we used to think fasted cardio was 
preferential for fat loss. And like theoretically, it makes sense because you can say like, oh, like if you don't have nutrients in your blood when you go into the cardio session, your body's going to tap into more of the body fat stores um, to supply that energy or, or something of, of that nature. Um, but there was actually there's been a number of studies which have compared fasted versus fed cardio. Um, and the differences on body fat change uh, are, are non-significant. There's no difference. So um, it doesn't matter whether you're doing your, your cardio fasted or fed, you're going to burn just as much fat. So I, what I would say is just do what suits your preference. For some people, yeah. they don't like going to do 45 minutes on the Stairmaster with a bowl of oats in their stomach. You know? Yeah, yeah. For, for guys like that, then, then just do it fasted, no problem. Um, for other people, like especially if you're if you're doing like heat cardio or something like that, um, which relies on a lot of carbohydrate to support sustain that activity, perhaps you might want to be having a, a, a small little bit of fuel um, before that training session. You'll be able to go a little bit harder for, for longer. But yeah, don't do fasted cardio because you think that it's going to enhance a fat loss. Um, it's just not. We don't we don't have any research supporting that whatsoever. But I still know. A lot of people do it and they believe it and that's fine. Um, in terms of fasted training, like weight training, um, not a great idea. Like, no, I, like I wouldn't think just, so. Yeah, it just, I, I don't understand a reason for why you want to do it. Like if it's, if it's to burn more fat, well, we just, we just showed, like there's the research shows that when you do yeah. fasted training, it doesn't work to burn more fat. So, that's off the cards. Like it's not going to burn off fat. And then I then like when they're tearing down muscle in a weight training session and we have no amino acids in the blood and we have no glucose in the blood, basically yeah. what our body is doing is it, it, it's scavenging nutrients and fuel from our existing tissues. Yes. And a lot of that tissue is going to be muscle glycogen and protein from our muscle mass. Yeah. So it, it just seems extremely against our best interests to be doing that in an underfed state. Um, yeah, I, I, unless like the only time that I, I, I could basically see utility in fasted weight training is if you can, you can only train first in the morning based on your schedule and you're just not one of those people who can train with food and gut. That's the only time that, that I would basically understand that they're having any utility but yeah it's it's not going to help fat loss yeah. number one and it's most likely going to put you at massive risk of um perhaps not muscle loss but perhaps inferior muscle gain um, yes of course yeah. muscle gain certainly not it's certainly not going to put you in a spot that's conducive to like muscle growth or being in an anabolic position Exactly. And um, one of those things, uh, I don't know if you would be a believer in this or if this has any actual backing, but um, if you're in that state where you can't train due to your work schedule later in the day and you also can't stomach food prior to that, would you then add in like amino acids into that um, session like or pre into that session to help with the muscle breakdown? Yeah, totally. Uh, I think, I think it, having amino acids in the bloodstream um, is going to be massively advantageous for offsetting muscle losses because if you don't have amino acids in your blood, your blood, your body's going to say, "Okay, we're, we're going to get them from somewhere." Yeah, exactly. They, yeah, we get them from breaking down our muscle tissue to, to sustain 
um, what's called amino acidemia or hyperamino acidemia. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think if if you don't have much choice, you're just gonna have to train in the morning and faster than having some essential amino acids, um, not BCAs. Like get essential amino acids. You want the full spectrum if you want to basically supply um, new muscle protein. Um, BCAs is only three amino acids. It's not enough. It's not adequate to build a, a full new muscle protein. Yes. So if you're gonna have amino acids, have EAAs or essential amino acids, and yeah, consume them either before your workout or, or at least during your workout too. Cool man, love that. So uh, are you going okay for time? By the way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we'll probably go for another 15 tops. Yeah, go another 5-10 minutes. Um, one of the other topics I want to bring up, uh, so we just touched on it then, we'll just let it tie in, but uh, you're talking about amino acids. So um, again, there's a lot of misconception around, you know, whether you should take um, supplements or you shouldn't take supplements when we're talking about like proteins, BCAs, essential amino acids and creatine. What are your top three and um, why? Yeah. So mo- most things I truly do fuck all. Um, my my go to supplement that I'll recommend is um, creatine for basically everyone. Yeah. Um, creatine just time and time again. It, it, it's number one, one of the most highly studied supplements out there. Like there is countless, countless studies, and it has around a ninety-five percent like hit rate on benefits wow. seen, yeah. which is extremely high. Like when we contrast something that like citrulline malate, which is another supplement. It has around a, a 45, 50% success rate. So some studies show a benefit, but about half the studies show no benefits whatsoever. So put in context, like creatine has around 95% wow. success rate. We yeah. still have a lot of confidence that creatine is actually probably going to help us. So it's going to help you sustain better performance in the gym when you're performing like high-intensity efforts, like a 6RM, 8RM, 12RM, things like that. Um, and that will indirectly enhance the muscle gain um, from, from your training um, and also in, increases intracellular hydration which can basically um, give your muscles a, a fuller um, round look but yeah it also has a whole other host of benefits in sort of improving immunity like the, the studies have shown that when people take creatine they have less recurrence of, of incidence of illness um, can even help um, recovery from concussion injuries and wow okay it's what else is there? There's there's so many benefits. Um, safe for basically all ages. Like there's even been studies that have used like on twelve year olds and showed no problems, completely healthy. Um, fine for females, fine for males. Um, a lot of females get scared when they hear this like water retention. Yeah. But some remember is it's water retention inside the muscle cell. Like when you look watery, that's the water's extracellular outside of the cell but creatine stores inside the cell, so it's not going to make you look watery, it's only going to give your muscles a round and more floor look. So wow, very creatine cool. yeah. is, is number one by, by a long margin. Um, protein powders, yes, um, but I consider them just food. Um, protein powders will enhance your progress in the gym and, and your possible accrual if your overall protein intake was subpar to begin with. Yeah. Um, but if you're if you're already having two grams of protein from like two grams of protein per kilo of body weight from whole foods per day already, putting shakes on top of that probably not going to help. But um, in saying that, um, if you want a proportion of that protein intake to come from shakes, 
that can also be a good idea too because it's just a really convenient, um, cost-effective protein source that you, you can have on the go and, and things like that. So yeah, protein is a good one. Um, my third would probably be caffeine. Um, oh yeah, so yeah. Caffeine is not directly going to enhance your muscle growth, but it can indirectly. So um, energy mood and adenosine receptor antagonist and yep. so when it basically inhibits the adenosine receptor a number of things happen so we get increased neurological focus so that's basically when you feel more wired after you take caffeine it also increases our ability to contract our muscle fibers more strongly so wow that's very cool it, yeah this is yeah when um when you take caffeine people will report feeling stronger because when they when they put their muscles under load, their their muscles are able to contract more forcefully. If your muscles are able to contract more forcefully, you're probably going to be able to handle more volume mm. or even heavier loads. And that's what I mean by indirectly enhancing um, the the muscle growth process. Because muscle, muscles grow in in proportion to sort of our training volume and, and progress increases in our training volume. So caffeine can be a means to increase our volumes and our intensities and to basically um, progressively overload. Now in terms of dosing, um, for most people, three to six milligrams per kilo um, pre-training is going to be um, completely adequate. Yeah. If you haven't taken caffeine before, I would suggest going on the on the lower end yeah. and, and just assessing it more dispersely um, because people are quite variable in terms of their tolerance to caffeine. Um, but for the record, like there has been a number of studies that have actually tested caffeine in the dosing scale of nine milligrams per kilo of body weight, wow. which is a shitload of caffeine. Yeah. This isn't a single dose. This isn't over the day. This is a single dose. Wow. And they still they still saw greater improvements in performance compared to six milligrams per, per yeah six milligrams. Per I feel like I could run for a wall. <laughs> it seems like the ceiling threshold for like performance benefits of caffeine is quite high. So I'm not saying, like, don't take this as me saying every workout needs to be nine milligrams per kilo body weight before every session. Like that's that's probably not going to be advisable. Yeah. But for athletes who do have certain phases of their season where they're really trying to optimize their performance, perhaps there can be certain scenarios where a higher dose of caffeine can be advantageous. And caffeine's not just not just advantageous for sort of the weightlifters and and um, the bodybuilders, like there's there's number of studies showing um, cyclists benefit from it. Time trial performance, yeah. Um, uh, repeat sprint ability, um, yeah. even maximal sprint ability, um, maximal sprint performance, um, peak peak torque, peak power. So yeah, wow. um, yeah. Ca- caffeine is is definitely um, always close by with with my training. Love it, man. I think that pretty much wraps it up. We covered some pretty awesome topics. I reckon we'll, uh, we should catch up again in future, do a part two. Um, that's a pretty good run for today, man. We can. Awesome, man. Thank you for coming on board, buddy. Appreciate yeah, it. Pleasure, man. Thanks um, for inviting me. No worries. For people listening, uh, how do they get hold of you if they're after um, coaching from you for nutrition? Yeah, best way, best way to get me is just through Instagram at Jackson Pios. Like, I... I do answer, um, I, I say all, um, sometimes the, some questions I, I just don't have time to reply to, but, yeah. um, if it's a, if it's a coaching inquiry through Instagram, you will absolutely get, 
I reply. But yeah, Instagram's best place to get me, and that's where I post sort of all the things that are going um, on with my research and any new research studies that I find interesting and that I think might be helpful um, for the for the fitness community. Um, and then outside of that, um, if you want to keep up to date with like more of like the nerdy stuff of, of my research, um, you can search my name on ResearchGate. Uh, and then probably the, the the last spot I just mentioned is um, my YouTube channel, which I just started this year. We've only got a we've only it's, it's only a little baby. We've only got a thousand subs subscribers on that so far, um, but it, it feels like a little family on there, and yeah. um, I'm putting out content I, I aim to um, at least every once two weeks on there and that covers um, research more like day in the life stuff of me what I get up to um, training nutrition tips and things like that so um, if anyone wants to follow along on there I'd, I'd be hugely appreciative of that too awesome man I'll drop your um, I'll drop your Instagram handle in the bottom of the description of the podcast so for listeners who want to get hold of them just click on the bottom of the description you're about to see it down there and um, thank you for coming on board again mate appreciate it my pleasure awesome man have a good day